Welcome to this week's episode of the White Cube Podcast. My name is Gabrielle Della Puente. I'm Zarina Mohammed. And welcome to this special edition where we've actually partnered with Nando's. Guys, can you believe it? <laughs> we've made it. <laughs> we've partnered with Nando's to discuss their absolutely wild relationship with art. So before we get to that, what is Nando's for anyone who doesn't know? Nando's is a restaurant chain. It's like a staple part of literally every British High Street up and down the country. They started up in 1987 in Johannesburg. Joburg. Joburg, Joburg. which is what we learned to call it today when we speak to all the <laughs> South African artists. I thought of it as like quite a specifically British thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Cheeky Nando's. Yeah, yeah, but it's not British even British. Zarina had her first date there. I had my first date in the Nando's ever, yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> we used to also go there all the time. Yeah. When we were in uni and we went there once and like there was a group of lads of all different ages and styles on the table next to us. We were eating our food, but we were also like, who are they? Like, how do these people know each other? And I just remember us in the end being like, we've got to ask. Like, we can't just obsess over this. And we spoke to them and they were bus drivers. And it made so much sense. Off duty. <laughs> so satisfying of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whenever me and Zarina are traveling as two art critics on the go, if we ever need to stop somewhere and eat and do some work, get our laptop out, we always go to Nando's, which is why this is such like a dream collaboration. We're really happy. And basically, we'll get to their involvement with art in a second, but I just want to ground everything that we say with this. The reason I call their relationship with art wild is because it's so unnecessary <laughs> like, <laughs> in business terms. Like, it makes no sense as a business to give so much of your money away to art mm. and artists when, as a restaurant, you could just do what every other restaurant does, which is, like, print off pictures of tomatoes and peppers and carrots and get some, like, mass-produced stuff on the walls in frames. Loads of, like, grayscale photographs of someone making bread in yes. slow-mo. Like, yes. those action shots of people throwing flour. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or, like, vague Italian countryside pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if the food's got nothing to do with Italy. <laughs> Vintage photos of Rome. <laughs> yes. You'll see them, like, the prints of, like, animals made out of sliced vegetables. That's as creative as it gets, you know what I mean? I know the type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like okay. high oh, restaurant yeah. art, isn't it? Mm. But like that category is kind of exploded by what Nando's does. Right. But those prints of like tomatoes and like vintage Italy, <laughs> bread in slow-mo. Bread in slow-mo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. what it <laughs> They're all very well and good, but they are set dressing. They're there as a vibey way to aesthetically signify 
that this is like an authentic Italian experience, even though you're in East London. Yeah. And not in Eastern Rome. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, you, you're trying to subliminally, you know, mm. communicate that. And um, the thing about the Nando's art is that it's made by an actual artist. All of them are made by actual artists. They've got a whole practice, a whole creative, critical understanding of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't necessarily feel like they're doing it strategically to make the place seem authentically anything. Yeah. Because the artwork has no theme. <laughs> Every artwork in Hernandez is completely unique because, as you say, it's just being produced by like an artist as they make their way through the practice. And it just so happens that Nando's at some point has acquired one of those works mm. and placed it in King's Cross, wherever. So it's a rewarding place to have lunch if you're us. Especially if you're an art critic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the best place to go. And as we learned today when we spoke to Spear Arts Trust who administrate this like Nandoian love of art, like a lot of the artists they work with wouldn't be able to produce art without that specific patronage. Hello, who are you? What do you do and where do you do it? Hi, I'm Talon Blake. I'm the chief curator for Spear Arts Trust. Uh, We work out of Cape Town. In South Africa. Uh, we run a not-for-profit that supports contemporary Southern Africa. And so long as people are residents in South Africa, we try and support um, the art-making practice. So Nando's is one of our main patrons. And can I say we use them as an exhibition space? <laughs> so they've been fantastic for about 20 years in buying original contemporary South African art and putting it on their walls in their restaurants and exhibiting it to the public. So sort of very much using their restaurants as open gallery spaces. Um, We love it. It gives the artists um, exposure constantly in parts of the world that they, especially at a younger age, just wouldn't have access to. Hi, it's Gab just quickly jumping in from the editing suite because I feel like this is an important footnote. When Tamlin uses the word exposure, I feel suspicious and stressed and defensive and like ready to fight someone. But that's only because in England, we have been so traumatized that when we hear the word exposure, we know that it's like some person in a position of power who is saying, oh, there's no payment, but we will give you lots of great exposure. As if exposure could like make your tummy feel full or house you or shelter you from the rain and like that's not what Tamlin is talking about because all the artists that she works with are paid when she mentions exposure she is just literally talking about what it means for an artist to be introduced to new networks of people and to grow their audience and to be thrown into the context of all these different countries it's uh so pure I'm not used to it um regularly you know we get uh, inquiries from people all over the world, sort of, who's this artist, what do they do, can we find out more about them? Um, so we try not to act as agents, and we definitely don't talk about Nando's artists or owning the artists at all. You know, we, we see ourselves as people who support the arts um, where we can, but very much encourage the artists to run their own careers um, and, and try and give them the support of that rather than a sense of ownership. Yeah. If you've been to Anandos before, which I'm like just completely assuming every single one of our audience has been because like, I don't know, you like us, <laughs> we get on. <laughs> uh, you might have seen massive 
oil on canvas pieces that are like two meters wide. You might also have seen that panoramic mosaic that's in the York Way, Nando's, made by Clive Vandenberg. You might also have seen blocks, <laughs> like small wooden blocks that are ordered very neatly along the wall and they depict like, you know, any number of things or they don't depict anything because they're abstract or whatever it is. They might also feature mosaics. They might be paintings, they might be drawings, they might be prints, whatever it is. Those have all come out of the entry program that Sphere Arts offers. And I'm stepping in to explain it now because I think the piece that we recorded with Tamlin was just like a little bit too humble. And maybe she's so used to it, but as a critic who is interested in how artists make a living in this country, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Someone else has found a way for artists to like do the thing that they want to do in a healthy setting. Why can't we have that as well? So essentially, Spear Arts selects artists in their locale, specifically people whose artist statements they find interesting or people that they feel are really intent on being an artist and that they're making art as much as they can or they're really trying to hone their workmanship. It's people who very obviously care about art and they'll join this program where Spear will give them, you know, a monthly monthly income that might cover like some materials and studio rent or whatever it is and then they're given these 18 centimeter by 18 centimeter wooden blocks and they're told to go and do whatever they do on this block you know it's only small and that's a very deliberate choice because they don't want people to be too intimidated and they want to be able to see you know kind of like the essence of the artist when everyone is given the same base to work on and then there are moments when all those artists are invited into the trust to show their blocks to the curators. If the curators maybe aren't completely sold on something, then the artist will be given some feedback and something that they can go away and work on in the studio. And if the curator is like, yeah, this one works, we want it, then they'll just buy it on the spot and they'll give that artist like an extra bonus fee on top of the money that they've already been getting to cover their time and effort and conceptual labor in producing the piece. Those blocks are what you end up seeing in Nando's all over the world. We use that as the sort of entrance point into the ecosystem of programs that we run. The creative block itself is designed as a feedback program uh, because we realized years ago that, you know, artists very seldom get honest feedback. Um, you know, you go to your parents and they say it's lovely. Uh, you go to your friends and they're just either supportive or really critical, um, but not necessarily helpful. Mm. So, you know, we try and provide a space where we can give artistic critical feedback. Um, and I look at things like use of materials, really get pedantic about professional finish, um, making sure that the artworks are clean and neat and presentable. Because uh, I think there's, this, especially in young artists, they get very careful and experimental um, and forget that it actually would be nice if it lasted a year or two. Um, you know, so you want to go, that's great, that's lovely, but is there another way of either using a better quality material or finishing it off so that people don't see the terrible workmanship but actually see the gorgeous mm. concept, idea and art making practice. Once that's developed, then we look at um, introducing them to other programs like the Nando's Creative Exchange. Um, we've got the Union Fair, uh, where we buy directly from artists. Um, 
NADA's Creative Exchange is quite exciting because they're encouraged to push an exhibition together. Mando's Artist Society is similar in the sense that we give them canvases. They're not large, they're normally about 60 by 60 or 80 by 80 centimeters. Um, and then we'll have the same sort of thing. We'll have two or three feedback sessions on one canvas, on one artwork. Again, just sort of looking at technical challenges maybe, maybe they're trying a new medium, um, or you know, looking into a different concept um, in their work. So, and why is that order? Why give someone like the exact dimensions and the material for them to work on rather than just let them do anything? Um, mainly because uh, we can source the materials relatively cheaply and the artist doesn't have to pay for it. So for them, it's less than the artwork. Um, also, we then set a limited price to what we will pay the artist. So it doesn't matter whether the artist has been working for 20 years or two years, um, the program is run the same way for all artists. That goes for the creative world as well. So, you know, we've got very established artists actually who've been working with us for 20 years still coming back to Creative Block because they enjoy the interaction and the challenge, uh, they get paid the same amount as someone who's just joined. Um, so for us, there's a sort of equalizing factor there. Can I just ask, in terms of that development, if that's one thing that's being offered offer an artist, where else might they get that in the area? Like, we're not familiar, so it's just... Yeah. Look, we've got some very strong universities uh, in Cape Town, Stellenbosch, Johannesburg, Pretoria. Um, and we get some, some artists coming through those systems. Obviously, not everyone can afford university. It's very expensive um, in South Africa. We have a lot of self-taught artists. So, you know, and for me, what's really important is to not sideline people because they haven't had the opportunities to study. Um, tricky, because you're going on more of a sort of idea of raw talent. Um, you know, people who been able to figure out how to think for themselves uh, without too much direction um, can can be difficult. You know, you you wanting to get them to a place where they're strong enough as working artists to develop a professional career. Why this is related to us and right now, yeah. Why this is opportune is we're recording this on Thursday, the twelfth of October, twenty twenty three. It is Art Fair Week in the UK, mm -hmm. yeah. in London specifically. We've just been at Freeze mm -hmm. and we are currently sitting in Somerset House because it's 154, an International African Art Fair. What's an art fair? Oh my God, I'm so glad you asked. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like we scripted this. <laughs> an art fair is different to an exhibition. Each commercial gallery that's agreed to participate in the art fair signs up and like, gets their own little space and they represent artists and they fill the booth with the artist's work in the hope of selling it. So whereas with an exhibition it's more about display for a more general public, an art fair has kind of a general public element to it too but maybe a more specific aim of trying to sell the work to collectors. And we're recording at 154 Art Fair today because Spear Arts Trust and Nando's have brought over some artists to try and give them that art fair treatment as they have done many times before. So for the 2023 edition, they've brought Vivian Kola, Colleen Stradham and Unkasanati Kue. And I say give them the art fair treatment, but that's kind of almost not what's happening. Uh, because the art fair treatment comes with a lot of risk, comes with a lot of like, oh God, I hope we sell because we've put on this big show. We really need to sell the work. We've come all this way from South Africa. Oh my God. 
But then I read something. I was like, what? I really need to confirm this with Tamlin before I put this in the podcast. So here we go. It was also reported on the art newspaper that if the works that Spear and Nando's bring over to 154 don't sell to other buyers, that they'll go into your collection. You'll buy them anyway. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's such, that must be such a relief for the artists. Yeah, for all of us. <laughs> for all of you as well. <laughs> like it's a testament yeah. to like the yeah. level of support that they, yeah. I don't know, can expect at this level. Yeah. Like through the creative ecosystem that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that you've, yeah, it's kind of a really interesting system to create for artists yeah. because a lot of artists exist without any system at all. Yes, exactly. It's that precarity, doesn't it? That yeah. just kind of becomes yeah. the backdrop for so much artists. No, we're incredibly lucky to be supported by Nando's. Um, they, they're a solid support. They're you know constantly there for programs like this, and they're supportive beyond just sort of providing the sponsorship. Um, you know, they've got a fantastic team um, of photographers and. They get involved with the media, they really try and do promotion, um, so it, it goes quite sort of deeply into the structure of support. Yes. Do you have like a slightly terrible question? <laughs> so, like, and since 2002, around 14,000 artworks have been bought for the Nando's UK collection from more than 625 Southern African artists. Do you have a favourite? Yeah. <laughs> And like, have you ever wanted to buy one just for yourself rather than for like the collection? You know, I can honestly say I don't. <laughs> the reason that is interesting that uh, people ask me all the time, so <laughs> I kind of get cornered. I think um, uh, living in the art world, I think you you constantly have your temporary favorite. You know, sort of like, oh my goodness, this is stunning. Got to you know get involved and whatnot. But. Um, I think I, I, I fall in love, I suppose, with different artworks for completely different reasons. And a lot of it has to do with uh, understanding the artists themselves and knowing the challenges and changes and growth that they've been through. So, you know, it's not as easy to say, yes, I love their art. It, for me, it's far more deep than that. It's, it's understanding their practice and um, how they've developed as artists. You know, what I would do is just absolutely support the people we have here today yeah. at 154 because you know we've, we've been on a journey with them uh, they've all been creative block artists and um, yeah these artists Fortunati, Vivian and Colleen are, are just some of my current top favorites temporary favorites you know see so much art coming through like of course it renews and like you've got new opinions and a new favorite comes along I know the feeling it might be like an obvious answer but because it's something that artists here face to. Why is international exposure important for an artist? Your price is go up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you just get a bigger audience. Uh, you know, South Africa um, is a limited market. There's a limited art educated uh, audience. Um, you know, we don't have. Uh, we art education at school, so people come out of school not knowing a thing about art. So building up that market can be really, really tricky, and it's important, I think, for artists to, you know, if they want to get any further in their careers, to build up either a European or an American base for their work. The most recognisable way that artists make money is to sell art, and that's very difficult. Like, it's not a given. 
it's hard to find people who are interested it's hard to find people who have the money it's hard to find people who are in the business of buying art and selling it to other people for to make a profit or people who have like massive collections that they want to add to or people who buy on behalf of other galleries and museums like it's hard to get in front of those specific people so mm. an art fair is an opportunity to be supported by a gallery or a trust like spear who can put artists in the right place at the right time to hopefully make sales my name is i'm a visual artist a painter from south africa where are you based in south africa sorry was born in the eastern cape uh, which is more rural and then i moved to Joburg to study and then i ended up staying in Joburg and pra i practice in Joburg. so my work is about overcoming um difficult situations mostly but then when you overcome find a way to get back to yourself even if you lose yourself but plotting a way back to yourself so the work is really about that the back and forth of life you know um like the waves because I, I do a lot of scenes where there's the sea and um baptism do you do you feel like making art helps you do that for yourself definitely it's quite meditative so it's, it's, it's when I create, I get more into myself. Sometimes I resolve my own issues without really thinking about them. Just the work sort of like, it, it untangles certain things inside me. And I feel that yeah, as a writer. Yeah. Once you start working, certain things just, you resolve issues. Certain things just go away and disappear. And then you find solutions at the same time. Can you describe what your work looks like visually? Okay. Maybe so so I create like baptism scenes, group, either one individual or a group of people by the sea, um, performing rituals. And some of them are about to plunge into the water and get baptized. So I, I sort of like pull the viewer in into those kind of situations. Sometimes unknowingly, I work mostly in oils, sometimes in, a, in acrylics as well. Yeah. How difficult or easy is it to be an artist where you're from? It's quite challenging. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. It's very difficult. Um, firstly, from, from, from the point of view of, of trying to sustain your life financially, it's quite a challenge because you don't get to sell an artwork every day. Yeah. Mm. And it's not like a nine to five. You don't get paid every month. So mm. it's quite a challenging um, uh, um, fact in, in, in aspect in that way. But at the same time, it's so fulfilling having to be able to control your time. Yeah. And, and how you want to influence the world. I think it's such a powerful thing mm -hmm. to be able to do that as an individual without having to ask permission from someone to be, or, you know, to be yourself, basically. So that's the reward. And, and I think the biggest reward, though, is when people um, can give you feedback of, of how the work makes them feel. I mm -hmm. think that's the biggest reward. Having to be able to influence or touch people in that way, I think it's really amazing. Yeah. So much amazing that um, you forget about the financial strains. Really, really. You really do. Yeah, no, you, you forget. And, and the reward is being in spaces like this. Yeah. Like, this is such a reward for me, being here. Conversations and, like this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Connecting with different people. So, yeah, that's, that's the, 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 I guess, the payment. Did you study art? Yeah. Yes, I did. How I was did. that? Um, Where did you study? Yeah. I studied at the University of Johannesburg. Um, that was quite an amazing experience as well and challenging at the same time. 
uh, mostly because when it came to the history of art, I, I figured that, you know, I, I realized that there's a huge gap between what we taught, you know, because we were mostly taught European art, but they never really touched on, on the African art. Or, you know, art, African art was mostly seen as primitive, which is, you know, I think it's a, an injustice because it sort of like silences African artists if the mm. approach is like that. It doesn't give them a platform. We, we learned more about European art more than, you know, like African art, if I should call it like that, if, if, if even such a thing exists. But we didn't, we were not, it, it was as if we're not allowed to explore ourselves yeah. further but um, more allowed to learn about other people and mm. you know what I and mean. did the students challenge that? Not really. I think when you're in an institution, challenging such things is so difficult because you get failed. But only when you come out of the institution, then you can be yourself and try mm. to find yourself even more. Yeah. You know, kind of like that for me. Only when I left the institution, I could speak about such things or even dive into such things, you know. African spirituality, that, that wasn't a thing back then when I was in varsity. Are there any artistic references that you're looking to now out of the institution? We have a bit more freedom to kind of um, put things in. Let me, let me start with what inspired yeah. me, because I was inspired by Dini Lefeni's work, um, how he, he just paints and draws African features and how he used to exaggerate you know, the expression of, 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 of African people. And also... Uh, Kit, Kita Kovitz is one of my inspirations. She's a German artist. So there's a, there's a common thread between uh, the South African political struggle and what Germany went through. I, I found that there's very, um, there's parallels. That's why I was so inspired by Kita Kovitz's work because she, she, she speaks mostly about loss in her work. She deals with a lot of loss. And I've dealt with loss in, in, you know, in my personal capacity. Also, South Africa politically has dealt with a lot of loss. What's your experience been of like Nando's relationship with Spears? Oh, so so Nando's and Spears have been very instrumental in supporting what I do in terms of getting giving me the platforms, like the different yeah. platforms, like this platform. Also, because of the exchange programs that we do, there's a project that we did in the Eastern Cape in South Africa. Um, with a rural community. So they, they sort of like create those opportunities for us as artists, yeah. especially artists that are not represented by galleries, like yeah. independent artists like myself. So they, they bridge that gap. Okay, I'm stood in front of 18 paintings. This is the work of Colleen Straden. The paintings are blue and white, a little bit bigger than A4, but they're all portrait. They are hung in like a grid. Um, and these blue and white paintings are mostly white, blue on white. They feature lots of interiors, lots of windows, looking out of a window from inside, figures airbrushed on so they're kind of soft and hazy, but also brush strokes that cut off are interrupted, scratchy detail drawings. There are bodies doing yoga on carpeted, floors from odd angles. There are trees um, branching out from a window that a person is revealing with like a, like a, a hand on a curtain. There are, yeah, loads of people doing yoga actually. People bending through the windows like they're dancing. 
There's a cat stood in front of multiple portraits. There is one that I really like, which is a hand, a disembodied hand holding like pleated fabric and revealing a leg in um, a Nike trainer, like a flat Nike trainer. They look like blazers. If you know what a Nike blazer looks like, then um, yeah. <laughs> there are lots of columns, lots of bodies, kind of reminiscent of William Blake's like, illustrations. There are soft gradients, harsh lines. It's meticulous, diagrammatic, but also loose and um, gestural in places. A real balance to be found between those two different ways of working. But yeah, mostly bodies, interiors, windows, grids, the diagram, the flat plane of a surface, messing around with the two-dimensionality of the painting itself. It's like a mythological version of my flat. Right? So it's, I thought many make work about things that I know about. And if there's one thing I'm an authority on, it's what I do in my flat. Because I live in this, in this bachelor flat, right? And uh, so the bed's there, and the kind of there. And it gets to this real sort of sense of a microcosm. And in there, I sleep, and I look out the window, and I roll around the floor, and I do some yoga. I get late for work, and I get dressed, and I nap again. I know that your artist statement mentioned something about like Mughal miniatures, the CNE school, mm. um, Japanese woodblock um, prints. All of which are like my favourites. I love the CNE school. I love Moogle miniatures and like the way they do that. Like they fuck with flatness and like the surface. And it was really exciting when to hear you talk about that in your Amazing. Can you just talk through the way you interact with or like fuck around with the surface of? Totally. You've hit yes. the nail on the head. That's exactly what I like about them too. But there's something there's something nice about being giving an illusion of space and doing something diagrammatic at the same time. You know, when I saw those miniatures, I thought this is this is so clever. I never realized properly exactly how emancipating kind of this thing is. And I really like the way they deal with uh, ornament as well. And with the 19th century, uh, the Japanese stuff, the woodcuts. And I was looking a lot at yeah the interiors where they have spaces within spaces and how it unfolds. It's really sensual way. I mean, the line use is like, ah, oh, beautiful. And the CNE school, like, wow. I don't know, there's like this awkwardness that's really cool and so alive. It's almost the embracing of mythology that I, I like. When Colleen mentioned mythology, I asked him at this point if his work had anything to do with the desire to self mythologize because it's something that I think a lot about in terms of like, the writing I produce, but also in how we all use the internet, main character syndrome, celebrities, religion, politicians, power. And Colleen gave like the most fascinating answer, but the room was particularly loud at the art fair when he spoke. Like loads of people just kind of bustled in. So I'm just going to read out word for word what he said so that you don't miss anything. And then the room got quiet again. So I'll hand the mic back to him in due course but this is what he said maybe a bit you know so I got to thinking about two things one was about representation who can I represent who do I have the right to represent I was so aware of my whiteness and I thought look 
the only person I feel I can really speak about in a free way is myself and my own experience. But I was very scared of becoming solipsistic or self-indulgent. How do I do this in a way that's interesting for someone else? So, all right, that's the problem. But that's one thing. What do I love? What do I like in the world? And I remembered as a kid, I used to love these stories with myths. And my mom would always take me to the library and I would always take out these mythy things. I thought, geez, I remember really liking that. And then I had a bit of a brain flash. Ancient Greece is such a cool shorthand for Western Europe. It goes straight, right? Ancient Greece, and if we're talking Western Europe, that's whiteness right there. Aha! Maybe that's a good way that I can have a lot of fun, talk about my own experience, but in a way that's hopefully interesting. So that's how I kind of managed for myself to join all the dots. Because I thought, well, I love the myths and I love the themes that it brings up, but I think it's really important to make whiteness strange, to make it apparent, to denormalize it. It's important, but I don't want to be didactic. It'd be nice if it's a strategy and not in a sense, and it's such a bad term, but maybe not baked into the work. So that I can make something that is perhaps about sadness, but enmeshed within it is a language. And that language has certain connotations and performs certain functions. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, the way you deal with whiteness in the work is something I actually really wanted to ask about. Like, I think this was one of the first questions that came to mind beyond the CNA school, because it's not really something that you find white artists in the UK having to or wanting to contend with. And I wanted to ask about that as like perhaps a cultural difference between the UK and South Africa. And if you could tell us like the vaguest question possible, but like could you tell us a bit about that cultural difference and like the way that contending with that whiteness feels important, maybe in your context. Okay, cool. Um, I suppose my preface would have to be like I, um, I don't think I can speak for, for other people. So this would just be my own kind of experience. Uh, just as a disclaimer, you know. But, um, <laughs> for me, I feel in um, in Cape Town or just in South Africa, like I'm so aware of my whiteness all the time because I because it's such an unequal society, and I feel I'm so implicated in everybody's lives. So if I see somebody who is not doing as well as me, um, I'm very aware of the fact that. It's really, I'm only doing as well as I am because of an accident of birth. Um, and the chances are that my happiness has something to do with their unhappiness. Yeah. Mm. I, like I, um, my privilege came at cost to that person. So yeah. I think for me there's a, a real sense of, um, like an ethical quandary in a sense, you know. Um, and I think because as a society, you know, you're constantly um, seeing that, that effect, you know, even in the most <clears throat> fancy spots in Cape Town, when it's, you come out of some fancy place and you see like, oh gosh, you know, so here's a whole bunch of people who have no place to live and they're trying to just survive. 
um, right in the shadow of this tremendous amount of wealth. So I think it's it's right there. Um, whereas I think perhaps um, in the UK, like the effects of colonialism aren't that apparent. You know, the effects of colonialism stay in the colonies, um, mm. but the money makes its way up. You know, mm. um, so I think that's perhaps the thing. Yeah. 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 I agree. <laughs> I really agree. We only see like the profits of it all. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of like, <laughs> me being here is like, I'm a visible example of the colonized subject. But it, mm. even then, it's like so divorced. It's the colonial motherland, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. It's, yeah, it's a cultural difference I'm really fascinated by. And I mm. wish that white artists in the UK would tackle or kind of see the value in contending with that whiteness. Because mm. I think looking at whiteness itself is so rich and interesting. In the same way, it's like a, it's a cultural products or a cultural identity category absolutely i mean it's so constructive um yeah. and it's so fragile as well like, mm. it's incredible how defensive people come really quickly when you start to poke a bit at it mm. um, which is always a good sign mm. um, yeah. yeah it reveals the fragility of it mm. definitely, definitely. Yeah. so much goes into normalizing it you know yeah um, yeah wow. yeah but it's yeah gives it a slick surface that's too slippery to Piece from yeah, yeah, definitely. Interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. It might be a bit of a key change, gear change. Mm. Um, what is your experience participated in a whole bunch of them and just on a very straightforward way of helping me get through the months. It's really helped a lot. And also really it's helped me kind of grow as an artist. You know, I get feedback from Tamlin and be able to like discuss stuff. And then this thing, being able to be like what in London at this fair, totally overwhelmed. Like, I cannot believe my luck. This is incredible. <laughs> so so yeah, like uh and then there's where I trust like, Less than maybe this is a testament to like the way the arts run in the uk but i'm like it's too good to be true it's, that's mm. it. it's, it's too, too good, good to be true because everything in the uk for artists is too good to be true yeah. <laughs> and then last but not least we spoke to vivian cola who was also there with Spear arts trust as sponsored by nando's the presentation that Vivian did was almost a bit of like an altarpiece or an installation. It was a central image that was definitely biblical in nature. It had like a figure coming down from the sky and the clouds parting either side of it. And then two bodies also flying up alongside this kind of like God or Jesus figure with more bodies on the floor. Everybody covered in robes and the curve of the robe was sort of sectioned off so that there was like this really nice flow through the image as determined by color because actually it was an image made with beads. Very, very tightly sewn, minuscule beads that, that made the whole thing feel much more precious and also maybe domestic because actually whilst it looked like an altarpiece, either sides of this god figure were loads of plates hung on the wall <laughs> and on closer inspection 
they weren't plates at all. They were made to look like plates. So they were circular canvases or cardboard that Vivian had painted onto with, yeah, loads of different scenes. Some of them were references to artwork. Some of them were photos of some kids playing football. I think there was a constable in there. And then some were more abstract. Some were just discs of metal or cardboard. And that illusion between actual ceramic and, yeah, like the artist's trick was great. It felt fun and like homely. And yeah, like that word, because it did sort of reminds me of my nan's house, you know, and like plates and religion are so important to like a, a family's culture that that's what decorates the walls. And yeah, we're going to be house proud about it. So we spoke to Vivian about it. My work tends to be highly processed driven. And I consider myself a maker before, before I'm an artist. That's where I start. I love making things. So whether it's um, fake cardboard, which looks like real cardboard, but it's not. It really looks real. No, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it really looks real. Shut up, hold on. That's not real cardboard. No. <sighs> <laughs> okay. I need to really quickly process this. <laughs> So, so what I do is I start with actual cardboard sculptures. Mm. I add all the details like the creases and all of that to the real cardboard and then make a silicone mold mm. and then I cast it in um, uh, resin and fiberglass and then I hand paint them. Not real cardboard. <laughs> this was not in your artist statement. This is like a magic trick. This is amazing. It is. Awesome. It is. Uh, oh my God. Artist by day, magic magician by night. Yeah. I really believe that. This is just blowing my mind. Um, yeah, what are the other types of processes that you, you go through? Um, it usually starts with constructions, assemblages, um, scavenger hunts. Yeah. Where do you go scavenger hunting? So you know the thing is this, uh, growing up I always wanted to be a treasure hunter. Oh my god, same. Right? <laughs> right? It's the best. I mean, growing up watching TV, I have to be a treasure hunter. And I thought it was completely impossible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, whenever I find um, scrap yards, scrap heaps, whatever, whatever, on the side of the road, I might not know how I'm going to use it, but I don't know I'm going to use it. I remember the one time I was driving through Cape Town and this dump truck drove past me and there was this piece of uh, reflective scrap metal on the back of the truck and I chased the dude down man the next robot I stopped and jumped out like yo can I please have that piece and he thought it was crazy I explained to him look I'm not crazy I'm an artist and yeah it ended up on, a, on an artwork and yeah and I, yeah I'm not crazy I'm an artist yeah right we should make that into a t-shirt man I know what I'm doing yeah your artist statement was really interesting because it spoke about quite a grand scale of like the sweep of history and like South Africa's colonial past and like the future and like the way that these are all these enormous like um, socio-political level things interact yeah. and then the scale of the work is very intimate and confronting on like a very personal scale like they address me directly in the head like how do you wrestle those enormous things down to such a personal tender scale? It's, um, it's about the delivery of wisdom. How do, how do you deliver wisdom? Um, if I was the most wise person on the planet but I didn't speak your language, what was the point, right? <laughs> yeah. So I try to use a, a cultural visual language that we can all um, internationally 
have access to. Mm. Yeah. Um, we all understand plates. We've all lived with plates. Our grandmothers had plates that they didn't allow us to, to use, but they passed it, passed it down to us, right? Yeah. We all understand cardboard, that it's a liminal substance. It's a beautiful mm. substance. We live with it every day. Mm. But we all understand what it is, what yeah. it can do, how it can be used, how, can, how it can be abused. Mm. Um, so in those terms, to answer your question, it's that access point. Mm. It doesn't matter what your educational background is. I believe everyone needs to understand that and gain access to the arts because there's a, there's a vital message, like you were saying. It's a grand message. Um, but how do you voice that message in a way that everyone can understand? Zarina refers to something in the artist statement. And if you are in the Spear Arts Trust, there are a few handouts that you could pick up including one for each of the artists that opened up, showed you some prints, other works that weren't included in the exhibition. And I want to read something out from it, but before I do, I just want to say that this is the only place that I could see, like, Ananda's logo. Like, they were so low-key about the patronage. There's a paragraph that says, Kola most often evokes familiar scenes, everyday objects or motifs from classical or traditional Western painting, to ensure that his art is accessible to as many people as possible. He attributes this objective to his parents' initial rejection slash reluctance of his art in the early days of his career, when they refused to attend Kohler's first big solo exhibition at the AVA in Cape Town, as they believed, quote, art slash the gallery space was only for white people. This had him decide that he was going to use a visual language that everyone can understand and gain access to, no matter their educational background. And I just mentioned that bit because, you know, that's part of like the socio-political stuff that Zarina is referring to. And I think all artists are hindered or motivated or they want to heal what it is that their parents say and do. And it's so nice to be able to bring family members into art when maybe it's something they never thought they'd come close to. Okay, back to the interview. Part of the concept of my work is that dichotomy of uh, realism versus uh, perception. I was asking myself, how do I portray this, these images, right? In, in culture around the world, this is how plates are displayed. It's a beautiful juxtaposition between the value of the plates, the politics of the plates, but then the narrative of the everyday. I don't know, it's fucking with the idea of an artwork as an asset, like painting especially, yep. as an asset class, yep. like something of inherent value as a commodity. And then those commemorative plates are, have a completely different kind of value. Right. But it's a more human one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's your mother's, it's your, your grandmother's plates that gets passed down to your mother. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. And we all understand that. And, and so with these works in particular, I found it interesting that colonization, the process thereof, works in different ways. It's not only taking, but it's also planting a flag, uh, emblematic flags. One of them were with the plates, right? In South Africa. So it got passed down generation to generation. And it wasn't just white people, it was across the spectrum of South Africa, right? But along the way, it changed, the narrative changed from a political one to a familiar one. It became a grandmother's plate. So when you inherited them, you weren't inherit inheriting a political statement or a political emblem. 
it was your grandmother's most prized possession. Like a subconscious yeah. narrative. Yeah. It is, but now it's, yeah. it's assimilated. Yeah. Into, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the thing is this, I've now taken that emblem and I've brought it back yeah. <laughs> to the soil where it came from. But I put our narrative on it. Art, art is a really powerful tool, right? And you can wield it any way you want. So as an artist, you really need to choose which side of the coin you want to use your 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 sword for. You know, um, mm. for me that's important. And we were talking earlier before mm -hmm. we started recording about. Um, I guess what it's like to be an artist in South Africa in Johannesburg, like Joburg, 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 yeah, Joburg. Yeah. like it's. I'm not like I'm not as familiar. I can't like. I'm not allowed. Yeah, we're not on first name basis. Oh yeah. <laughs> like um, yeah. What's it like being an artist in Johannesburg, and um, what's how do you experience the arts ecology around you? South Africa is a burgeoning economy it's not a first world country right so art is not on top of the list right so it's very hard for, for artists to make a living <laughs> in South Africa so Spear Arts Trust to be honest I would not be here without them today quite frankly um, they gave me my start they saw possibilities in me that the gallery system at the time didn't. But the amazing thing about it is they have a standard that they will not um, step down from. So artists will not sell work if their work is not up to scratch, right? Yeah. And the way that I personally and other artists have been mentored along the way, um, they push you, man. And they, they really genuinely bring out the best for you because the way that they're thinking is that they're thinking long term. They're not thinking at the point where they're standing in front of you and buying an artwork. They're thinking, where can I place this? They're thinking about the clientele as well. They're thinking about the standard in the industry that they need to bring you up to so that they can push you. It's not about, actually, no, your work is, is crap. Go away. It's actually, actually, no, we see possibility here. Let's work together. Let's get you to this level because there's this client we know will love your work. Um, so organizations like the Spear Trust, they're really specifically in South Africa, and Nando's are so key. They are so important. Um, Do they make you feel like art is a necessity for people? That's a good question. It is, eh? Because, because you, you tend to live in a bubble, and you don't get to see outside the rest of the world. You don't know how people evaluate things, how people live. Um, and so them introducing you to those other worlds, like, oh crap, okay. There's, there's more to this than just um, painting a dream or, you know. I don't, I don't want to say messing with paint because that undermines what we yeah, do. Yeah. And make it a situation for you. Yeah. yeah, because the thing is this, artists are mirrors for, for, for society. And that mirror is vital for the progression of society and nations. So if, if, if um, Nandos and Spear Arts Trust aren't there to facilitate the mentorship of these various voices, 
important voices in culture. Those voices are going to be lost. Um, and, and we do know that art is the forerunner of culture. Art changes culture, you know, for the good or the bad. Yeah. 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 Without them, yeah. the mirrors are a lot smaller or it's like cloudy or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a, it's a weird human universal, right? Like, yeah. Art has been being made since humans were humans. It's right. An intrinsic part mm. of the human condition. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> Just five minutes of critic. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like, I think that same kind of push and pull of like wanting to be like, it's not life and death, mm, but it but... is to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I really, that. when you said that. It's like the, I'm not crazy, I'm an artist thing. Yeah. And it feels like those are two parts of it. <laughs> well, I've loved Donanda's Day Art. <laughs> We've eaten Nando's two days what in a row. You said something of a Nandian way of doing the it. Nandoian. Nandoian. <laughs> he sounds like the Mandalorian. <laughs> Nandoian art day out we've had. So we've eaten Nando's two days in, the, in a row. <laughs> it's been great. And I've looked at some of the pieces in these restaurants slash galleries and being like, oh yeah, I could totally see that in like a super slick Mayfair space for thousands and thousands of pounds. And actually, like, I'm really glad that Nando's has bought it with the intention of just letting restaurant goers look at it while they eat. Mm. Like it's so complimentary to the experience. And it's so pleasant that you don't have to force yourself to go through the experience of like, okay, I'm gonna go to a gallery today and I'm gonna like try my best to look like a clever person and I'm gonna brace myself for like the fact I need to have opinions. Like all of that pressure is kind of stripped away. Mm. It's the white cube of it is gone because it's not in a white cube you're placing art you're taking art you're saving art from the white cube <laughs> yeah you're giving the artist what they need which is money you're giving the artist what they could massively benefit from which is an international platform and then you're also giving the audience a much better time as well and if you're going to a mayfair gallery or yeah, any commercial space you might be assumed to be going there with the intention of buying something but i'm never going there with the intention of buying anything because i haven't got the money when i go to nando's i'm going there to get chicken livers and i'm going there <laughs> to just like let the art wash over me and that's so nice. that's so nice art can exist in more casual places in a way that like doesn't have to compromise on the quality of the, the you know the circumstantial bit but also the quality of the art there's oh there's shamiana rashid arayim's restaurant where the table is like his sculptural cube unit pieces. Like art on the underground? Art, like art on the underground. I love art on the underground. So um, if you're in London, the quickest way to get around is on the tube. Art on the underground inserts art into like the empty spaces that like would normally be taken up by a billboard. But it's, yeah, it's that, does that thing of, letting you experience art in a sort of coincidental i'm on the move i'm doing something else peripheral setting which feels like yeah the pressure's off it feels much easier to to accept and to receive i think because right this is a brand new thought i think what it is is that so much of the way we view and understand art is that it happens contextless in that sanitized white cube space perfectly blank it's just the art but 
the most exciting and unstable kind of work happens when art includes other things. Some of our favourite artists are artists that came to art later on in life and like had whole other lives and careers and passions and trajectories outside of art and like pull that into their art. Like it, it's just the thing on its own. It's not sometimes it's not enough. Like you need to put other things on the table to kind of create something dramatic and exciting and unstable. And actually, maybe it's not helpful for us to say every Nando's is a gallery because we shouldn't be putting the pressure on. Yeah. Maybe every, every gallery should be a Nando's. <laughs> <laughs> every Nando's should just be a restaurant that happens to have really considered art on the walls. And that should be a normal, casual thing. Yeah. yeah. As we open this podcast with, maybe that's a nice way to end it. Like the person we spoke to who was at the table with the girls on a lunch break. She told us that she doesn't go to galleries because she doesn't have time. And actually, I think we could insert art into all of that spare time. People might be better off for it. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the White Cube podcast. Uh, you can find the transcription for this on thewhitecube.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.